the Tell Me If You Can podcast. I'm your host, Ogechi, and in today's episode, I have the pleasure of chatting with Daniela. She shares about growing up Caribbean American and navigating cultural differences and nuances as a young person and now into her professional life. Chatting with her was truly a pleasure and learning about how experiences from microaggressions to grief helped forge her forward in her path is truly inspiring. So let's take a listen to Daniela's story. Daniela, and welcome to the podcast. For those of us that don't know who you are, can you just give us a quick bio, what you do, where you're from, a little bit? Sure. About- uh, thank you, Ogechi, for having me. Uh, my name is Daniela Greenman. Uh, right now, I am a programming and event specialist uh, for the Energy Institute at Carnegie Mellon University. Uh, the full title, sorry, it's really long, is the Wilton E. Scott Energy Institute for Innovation. Um, I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, and grew up in the Poconos area of Northeast PA. Came to Pittsburgh for school uh, in 2008 for college, and uh, pretty much have been here ever since, outside of a quick stint in New York last year. Um, So really working in the nonprofit and event space uh, in Pittsburgh as much as possible, in community organizing and engagement, and trying to just find connections for people so that we can learn more about each other and reduce some ignorance. Wow. So you've seemed to be from a very diverse city. New York is called the melting (laughs) pot for a reason. And so you must engage with people of different cultures. So can you just share a little bit about your cultural background and how you navigated identifying with your culture and being in such a melting pot of a city and then moving to another city like Pittsburgh, which has different um, ethnic groups, but they often seem right. To be silos, yes, right? Um, that's spot on, Ogechi. So, my uh, cultural background: both of my parents are from Guyana, a country in South America. It's a Caribbean country in terms of culture. Uh, however, we do have a lot of characteristics and traits within the culture that identify with you know Caribbean countries across the diaspora, uh, Latin America as well, um, and with East Indian culture as well, especially. So uh, growing up, obviously in Brooklyn, um, for those that don't know, it is uh, that is uh, Caribbean central. So outside of you know some other spots in the U.S., a lot of Caribbeans who uh, come to the United States come to Brooklyn, come to New York City, and uh, you know the first five years of my life, I was around a lot of people who knew what my culture was, knew what our food was, knew what our music sounded like. And uh, moving to the Poconos in the early 90s, um, you know, that was a very different look. However, because the Poconos is so close to Mm -hmm. the city, I was still growing up with Black people who were familiar with my culture. Um, I was still growing up with a number of Caribbeans, with a number of uh, Hispanic and and Latin Americans and, um, you know, a significant Asian population. So when I moved to Pittsburgh in what I thought was a larger city than the Pocono area, I was actually very surprised. I, uh, you know, knowing that there was a, a, having a little bit of knowledge of some black history here from my visits to Pittsburgh to choose this as a school, I thought that there would be a lot that I could learn, but did not think about um, necessarily some of the nuances that come with being 
um, or rather not quite identifying with African-American culture, which I really didn't at that time. You know, Caribbean household, even growing up, wherever you grow up, your parents, um, I, I would say I find many similar stories, I'm sure, to Caribbean kids growing up to, you know, strictness and food and many other things culturally that made it pretty different from African-American culture. So uh, just kind of realizing some differences with my own Black American friends who I was meeting in college, I actually changed my major to urban studies sophomore year from psychology because I wanted to dig deeper into cultures and knowing about um, urban communities, but also the impacts of uh, the history of urban communities and how that was kind of resonating right now, especially as you mentioned, for a city like Pittsburgh, who has 90 different unique neighborhoods. Um, but again, they're very siloed. Um, some of them that can identify as all black communities or Polish communities or Italian communities. And that was something that was very different for me from my upbringing. So I was just really interested and wanted to um, just kind of figure out what the history of Pittsburgh um, kind of really meant to people now. Um, and it's been, it's been interesting working in the city to see that. That is so interesting. I think that it's always cool where someone's personal experience shapes how they choose to educate themselves. Because when you go to college, you have the traditional majors that you can choose, but often people gravitate towards areas of studies because of their personal experiences. So your personal experience of culture in the Poconos and then in Pittsburgh influence you choosing that focus in school. How has that affected career paths that you've taken or even personal experiences that you've had in and outside mm. of the workplace? Um, to surmise my, my, my resume, if I could, coming out of school, I wanted to, I also did certificates in African studies and writing, professional writing at Pitt because they didn't have a journalism degree at the time. Don't know if they do now, but at least when I was going through school. So uh, to try to kind of put some pieces together, I thought I would, you know, come out and be a journalist and tell these diverse stories and get people to really read and and really get to know each other on deeper levels. Um, and I admit getting out of college, one, from a financial standpoint, wanted to focus on getting a job right away. Um, was doing an internship senior year, a media internship at American Urban Radio Network, which was the only, uh, or I believe first and only uh, black owned radio network in the country. And that was based here in Pittsburgh. People don't know that, uh, right downtown. So I went through an internship with them, started working with them. I'm thankful for the connections that I made there that led to me working at WPXI, which is Pittsburgh's uh, NBC affiliate. Um, spent some time there for three years working as a production assistant and really kind of getting to see the ins and outs of broadcast television, at least you know from a local standpoint, uh, but also experience with reporters and anchors and journalists who had worked on a national level and found that even though I might have wanted to be a representation in terms of my color and my gender for other people to see, you know, more black girls on the news, that that wasn't exactly how my purpose needed to be written into this career. Um, I knew that there was more mm -hmm. to just kind of telling the story and that, you know, that is no shade or no, <laughs> um, no offense to any of my journalists and journalist friends. It's just that I wanted to do more than I know are within their capabilities just because of, you know, just corporate guidelines. So 
I tried to move into nonprofit and event planning and thinking of how I could kind of do more of the, the boots on the ground work. Um, started with Viber Pittsburgh, which is an organization here working to make sure that those who come to Pittsburgh um, who represent diverse populations actually get mid and high level jobs. Um, working again then with the Heinz History Center to do event planning for three years and really charging our team to be more inclusive in the way that we thought about how we marketed our events or how we at least were attracting folks because we really kind of ran our business on word of mouth, but the word of mouth wasn't reaching the Pittsburgh Black community. And so as a representative and someone who was working within the Urban League space and other kind of community organizations, I really tried to leverage those relationships to bring business to the History Center um, more so, again, to use my work, but also to make sure that the Black community was being seen and these celebrations were being seen, that these moments and these accomplishments uh, were not, it, many of them felt like financially the History Center would be out of reach. And again, for where I work right now, the conversation that we're having just because of recent things going on in the world and um, the Black Lives Matter movement kind of really taking charge right now. The conversation that we're having at CMU are, are very similar and it's not only how can we work that into what we're doing, but how can we make sure that um, our programming is, is really representative. Um, so I think in all my work, you know, in trying to do, do that part, but there are so many instances where you just really, you hear certain things, whether it's in a newsroom um, in board meetings and, you know, just casual conversations that have definitely made me uncomfortable. I think learning over the years to speak up for myself and setting certain boundaries and work so that people don't feel comfortable to, um, to make mention of things around you that you know would offend you. Um, so yeah, there are some yeah. stories to unpack there, but yeah, I'll leave it there. <laughs> Oh, we, we can unpack them. Unpack them. <laughs> but I, I just wanted to point out, I just wanted to point out one thing that you said. And I think that um, speaking as another woman, Black woman, that has a passion for equity mm -hmm. and diversity, and we tend to want to be that singular voice of diversity in those workplaces or groups right. that we're involved in. And in seeking out diversity, we often sometimes put ourselves into another mm -hmm. kind of box, right? We then become the sole voice or the echo chamber of diversity. And we isolate ourselves because we've kind of taken on this one role. But seeking for equity and diversity can look so many different ways in our communities. And I think it's great that you talked about you going from equity and hiring to incl inclusivity of the Black community and celebrations at the History Center, and now your role at CMU, I think um, it shows to people that there's not just one way to spread that message. There's not just one obvious way either, that if it doesn't sit right with you, then you can seek another path towards exactly. that same goal which I think is super cool. Let's talk about those <laughs> microaggressions because that's kind of what you are hinting at. Um, things that people say or do that offend you, but it goes, it's more than an offense. It's really a mini trauma, I call it, because it's chipping mm -hmm. away at your humanity or the humanity mm -hmm. that look like you. So what are some microaggressions that you might've experienced, whether it's in the newsroom or sure. even as a young person? Um, I will say, I think... I <laughs> in a couple workplaces, I'd, in a newsroom, I remember 
I had to voice caption a story and hearing uh, one of the reporters had gone to West Virginia. This is a reporter of color, had gone to West Virginia and there was a story about a dog who was recently adopted, but had, uh, you know, significant health issues. A uh, dog was on the, the up and up and this clinic had named, uh, quote unquote, affectionately nicknamed him Tar Baby. Uh, and so before I could let the story run, cause thankfully it had only, I think ran once and I, I, I could not tell you in specifics in terms of my memory, how they were able to catch it or take it off. Who knows? Um, but immediately went to the, you know, the evening director on that shift and said like, Hey, so this is offensive. <laughs> I'm not sure how it got by everyone or who checked this or who reviewed this video, but we need to cut it. You will get an incredible amount of backlash and I don't think that's what we want. Um, I have had a manager a, that was hiring me to work specifically in an employment center in the black community in one of the black communities here tell me that I was overdressed for my interview because I showed up in a suit. Um, I had a... Uh, <laughs> In New York, I mean, it can't even be Pittsburgh, you know, there were instances um, that just made me uncomfortable in terms of how I was being micromanaged. And I felt like that was particular to race and gender. Um, actually went to a, a bonding one time and experienced one of my colleagues rapping the N-word um, and over and over and over again, despite me, uh, you know, yelling over the music that I was very uncomfortable and that that was really inappropriate. So in each instance, I think, again, you know, growing, I'm almost 30. And I think each time it's been a matter of um, battling my own personality and going, okay, do you say something, Daniela? Uh, and then I think many women, I, you know, feel this and you're like, okay, well, will this affect my job? If I speak up now, what are the repercussions going to be? You know, will they you know, stop me from getting a promotion? Will they treat me badly after this? Will they find reasons to fire me? Um, and so in each instance, yes, there was definitely fear to say something, but I was glad I did. I always had then some sort of, uh, you know, kind of motivation from someone else or another colleague that said, hey, so glad you said something. I was also uncomfortable with that. And, you know, if you hadn't, then X, Y, Z wouldn't have happened. And it's not a credit to me as much as I just do want to charge people that when those gut feelings kind of take over in moments of discomfort, it's worth it to do something about it. Um, and I think you really do have to certainly assess your personal and, you know, individual situations. But uh, there's there's a reason that, you know, you're in those those their circumstances sometimes. And I think it's really important to remember your role. And while you may not always want to be the one black lady, one black man, one Latina woman, one Asian woman, whatever, speaking up all the time, uh, there there's credit to it. And you may just not always see it right away. I, I mean, <laughs> the very fact that you even to wonder about should I speak up and how does this affect my job security is a symbol of the privilege of the other person that is creating this uncomfortable situation that you have to do this yes. mental gymnastics to figure mm -hmm. out the response, right? And that's just one incident. But microaggressions, even though micro is in the name, it's almost like being pricked by a thorn. And we'll mm -hmm. talk about thorns later. But constantly being pricked by a thorn, you mm -hmm. might bleed out, right? 
that could cause serious harm. So those microaggressions, that one-off incident might be nothing, but you don't know how many times in a day that someone might have faced those same microaggressions. And I think that when I try to explain this to people that Mm -hmm. are not of color, they don't understand it until like one time I actually listed all of the microaggressions I experienced on a day on a daily basis. And I got tired of listing it. And so that's kind of how you can encapsulate the experience of someone that doesn't, and even still, you can't really fully understand because you don't have to make those tiny decisions of, do I speak out or not? Am I going to be an angry black woman if I do speak out? Am I feeding into this stereotype Mm -hmm. of bias that they have? And all of the things that, all of those micro decisions you make when you have that moment. And for me, sometimes I get upset because in making all those tiny decisions, I say nothing yes. or I'm just numb. And then I'm just like, yep. wow, great. <laughs> now they probably think it's totally okay to say that. Or by the time I go back to them, they think it's ridiculous mm-hmm. that I'm bringing this up 20 mm-hmm. minutes later. But um, I wanted to ask you, what are some takeaways that you've had? Like, how do you continue to do the work that you do and be that outspoken voice even though it seems like the progress that we're making as a country is so slow. Yeah. Um, the biggest piece for me, I th- I've noticed in this battle, because it's a battle, it will always be a battle, unfortunately. Uh, I just, as optimistic as I am about, you know, some areas of progress, there's work to be done that's going to uh, you know, supersede our generation. So my work, I feel, started in college. It started at Pitt. It started with the Black Action Society. Uh, shout out to the University of Pittsburgh, obviously. Mm. And in, it it created... Right. Well, sponsor, <laughs> but... Plug. Uh, <laughs> um, but hail to Pitt for all of those connections, for creating a community that I didn't know I needed. I have always had a diverse group of friends. And so to think that all of a sudden... This community was needed to express things about our culture, express frustrations, express joy, express grief, express whatever it might be. And, um, you know, these commonalities and these shared experiences and teaching each other about our own differences was was more than I could have ever anticipated. And for me, I think to move forward in the work that I'm doing, it's remembering those moments. It's remembering a lot of the great work that I know that we've done in mentoring and volunteering and, you know, in my work with previous inmates, with at-risk teens, with uh, elderly folks. And so the more that I push, it's to find ways where you are actually using your talents and the skills that God or whoever you believe in has given you that the universe has bestowed upon you to do good um, rather than focusing on the negative. There's so many ways we're inundated with negative content on a daily basis and it's hard to block it out. I, I completely understand. I couldn't I don't know how people are doing it. Um, and even me and kind of taking steps into posting and sharing and doing those things, I always feel like I want to do more, but have to remember what is in my capabilities and to know and to trust that when it is time for me to to do more, that God is going to make sure that I have those resources. And, you know, um, I think that's the most important part to just try to find the, the positive in what you're doing and to really use what you've been given. 
So I really like that you're saying like focus on the gifts that you have and you're always going to feel mm-hmm. like you're making progress, right? If you focus on what is lacking, it exists, but the very fact that some people can ignore it is yeah. a symbol of their yes. privilege, correct? Um, and we don't have the privilege to ignore things that affect people mm-hmm. that look like us because the world perceives us by, unfortunately, by our race first mm-hmm. and who we are second. And so we can't take away how that happens in society. So we must be agents of change. I did want to ask you, you are like me and um, we both went to University of Pittsburgh, if you didn't catch that from this conversation. Um, and so I actually grew up with not a lot of diverse friends. I was probably one of two black girls mm-hmm. in my friend group. And even with my best friends, it was like mm-hmm. just me. And so mm-hmm. when I went to Pitt, it was the first time that I had, even though the majority of students at the University of Pittsburgh is right. white, um, mm-hmm. are white, it was the first time that I found, and I think it's like a blessing that I was gravitated towards a large group of mm-hmm. black people that I could mm-hmm. be friends with. And I needed that kind of, di- that weird, it's not diverse in the sense that yeah. they look like me, but there was, there were black mm-hmm. African-Americans, mm-hmm. there were Africans, there were um, mm-hmm. like Afro-Latinos, Caribbean and the whole myriad and the whole diaspora was represented at whoever does the uh, recruitment for Pitt really picked every <laughs> single country <laughs> because I was just astonished. I never really knew as many mm-hmm. Caribbean people as I knew if I didn't, I wouldn't have known them. And like the different nuances between Guyana and, right, you know, right. Jamaica and don't confuse the two all those things so how do you how do you balance no but i'm also Mm -hmm. nigerian right and i often found that i had to explain that yes i'm black and yes i live in america but my experiences are slightly different there's nuances in the african-american experience where i can trace my ancestors to a certain Mm -hmm. level in this country or the Nigerian American experience where my, I came from, I was born in Nigeria and came to this country Mm -hmm. as a child. And so my upbringing, my experiences are different. And I imagine that's similar to you being Mm -hmm. Guyanese American. Yeah. I would say that the balance, (laughs) the balance I think has come from my friends. I admit, because I do at this point, mostly have black American friends. Are they all from very different and granted historic black cities? Yeah. And so they've taught me a lot, especially in food. Oh my goodness. I, I mean, I didn't know what shrimp and grits was. I didn't know what shrimp and grits was until junior year. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. I went to New Orleans for a conference and Whoa. my mind was blown. I've never, I mean, just never really had a lot of, my Thanksgiving is, uh, it's just a variety of Guyanese dishes. I don't know nothing about stuffing. I don't know nothing about cranberry sauce. I don't know nothing about, you know, greens. It's It's a whole different... So in learning, not just, um, you know, their culture, I think the balance for me has been sharing mine too. So in the interest, you know, and coming back from school trips or rather school breaks um, to go home from Thanksgiving and Christmas, my mom, my Guyanese mom is packing tins and bins of food for me to take back that I don't know what kind of mini fridge she thinks she bought me, but uh, there was not enough space. So what I would do 
I put in my fridge what I could fit. And the first couple trips home, I was like, okay, well, this really can't fit. So I guess I'll share it. Um, and then shared it with my friends. They're like, oh, what is this? And I was like, oh, well, that's chow mein. They're like, oh, what's this? And I was like, well, that's shrimp and spinach. And so all of a sudden, like all of her little dishes and the way that my mother is, love her to death. Um, she then started packing individual dishes for my friends. So she was like, wait, Sinead likes this? Oh my God, I'll make sure that she has lo mein. Oh, Akia likes this? I'll make sure she has this. Sterling likes this kind of rice? I'll make-. And so that's how I was able to, because then over that plate, People don't, we really take advantage of the very simple and basic things that bring culture together, food, music, conversation. Yes. And those are huge in, um, I would say, especially, of course, black American culture, but for, I know African culture and, and Caribbean culture, it's major. So for yes. us, it's like, you're sitting over that, that plate. That's the perfect opportunity as you're shoving your mouth with a beef patty for me to tell you <laughs> how we make the beef patty and where these ingredients come from or, you know, what what occasions we make this for. And so, um, you know, and finding that balance, it's hard. I feel like it's different here for me in Pittsburgh because there aren't a lot of Caribbean people. And I've definitely felt, um, you know, distant yeah. from my culture. It's been hard for me. And I don't think people realize that it could be, but... I didn't really grow up knowing how to make everything my mom made. And, you know, so while I can blast my reggae and soca music and, you know, maybe make some chicken curry, I don't have the availability of all the spices and all the, you know, different kind of access of foods and things that, um, you know, I would have in, say, New York for a year down the block from me. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So very yes. different. Yeah. You can go down to oh. get everything you need in New York or even – Parts of DC, right. even though here I feel like I still haven't found the best. And like Caribbean, if you ask her, depending on the country, like Jamaican Caribbeans will right. say this spot is better. But then like mm -hmm. Barbados will say it. And so I have to just like pick yeah. one. And yeah, you can't play favorites at all. But I can understand being away from home and the, the lack of you're so connected yeah. to your culture, but it's not the same connection as if you were where you were from, even right. if you were just at home. Um, I want to ask you, how do you practice? And I know this term mm. is overused, but how do you practice? <laughs> no, I, love, I love the word. Um, uh, <laughs> boundaries, man. Uh, the older I get, I'm learning. Yes. Yeah, it's... As a person who naturally exerts energy, I mean, I exert my all into a lot. And I noticed that I was depleting myself and not replenishing in really any way just a couple years ago. And I think um, with grief, with changes in jobs, with wanting the change in environment, with so many of that kind of hitting me at once. I thought, okay, you know, how can I be taking better care of myself? One, to just be a better daughter, sister, friend, um, to just feel like I was in a better place as a single woman that when the time came and God thought I was ready, that I would be, you know, a good partner. Um, I want I, all of these things that I think about for my future, but it's now you start those, those behaviors and a lot of that discipline, you know, now before you have those, before you're blessed with those things. So to me, it's one, a lot of skincare. 
Uh, Sephora might get a plug here, though. I shouldn't. Um, Sephora and Ulta, especially in quarantine. I mean, take all my money. You might as well take my check. Uh, so I do spend a lot of time in the mornings and evenings uh, playing music and just kind of doing my skincare routine because it calms me. And uh, started, you know, really kind of working on affirmations. And if it's yoga or Pilates for some sort of exercise, even if it's just once a week, if I'm not having a good week. Um, but the, the things that make me engage with my body and with some sort of expression, journaling a lot, um, because I think you really have to pinpoint, again, from an individual standpoint, what are the things that might be built up for you or where are you finding issues? I find issues with speaking up from a personal standpoint, while professionally, and we talk here about, you know, equity and diversity and, you know, from my career, it's been interesting to think about that dynamic in my personal life, because I'm not always as outspoken about the things that I want personally. So I've really been working on, um, you know, finding that balance and doing the work, uh, whatever that takes in prayer and in setting intentions and, you know, really looking for, for purpose in all that I think the world is presenting right now. So the care is really giving yourself, being patient with yourself um, and treating yourself, treating yourself really well. You know, you don't, you can't, no one can treat you as well as you can treat you. So that's a big yes. deal for me. Mm -hmm. I love that you, um, you talked about like skincare and someone might think like, Oh, that's just like whatever. But the act of just even placing your hand on mm -hmm. your face and massaging your face and just creating that time and space to take care of your body mm -hmm. in a physical way is important. And I think, you know, it's like mind, body, spirit, all connected together. And that's what I think of as self care, but I think balance and boundaries is also a great one. Um, I, I have to ask, what is your love language? Because I read something recently that your love language should be not just how you express it to other people in your relationships or friends, but also how you should express right. things to yourself. You might have seen that floating around. So what is your love language or love language? Uh, so I, it, mine start with acts of service. Um, and then I think it moves into words of affirmation and quality time. Um, touch is important to me. Gifts are least important. Um, I think touch and quality time actually might be pretty equal on my scale, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, definitely, uh, acts of service and words of affirmation. I think I always like to, to your point, you know, in the ways that you're, you want love and want to love yourself. I want to speak good vibes into my life and to my days. And so while I, it would be nice to hear that from other people and that people are there to encourage you and support you, I have to do that too. You know, I have to be in that, that zone all the time yes. because that other person could not be in the mood to do that for me one day. And I have to be okay with that, you know, with, yes. with, with, um, uh, sorry, acts of service. I think because I am so involved Part of the self-care that, you know, ends up and, you know, for any Virgos out there, you just do, 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 do. And then all of a sudden you're burnt out and acts of service for me mm -hmm. show me that oh, someone was able to just like fold the laundry and it doesn't need to be that, you know, a domestic task or anything like that. Or 
you know, someone showed up for me at my uh, event that I planned for this nonprofit just to support me. Um, just in those ways, again, I think in support where you're showing it um, and it doesn't have to be materialistic. It doesn't have to be physical, um, but just your general presence and, and uh, letting people know that you're there, I think is really important. But also yeah. for yourself, you're modeling it for other people so that hopefully they see and you're modeling it for yourself that that's how you like to receive love or affection or respect or care. And for like, it's, a, it's curious that you said access service mm. and words of affirmation. And those are also ways that you provide self care. Mm-hmm. So that they match up because you taking the time to create those boundaries is an act of service for yourself. Knowing that you do, do, do those boundaries help put you at least, uh, at least protect your energy that you're so willing to give to other people. And then in creating words of affirmation or speaking kindly to yourself and thinking positively about yourself that those match up. So I always ask that because usually the love language and how we do self-care tend yeah. to match up. I can't stand words of affirmation. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> and so I would never like, that's why I'm not yeah. good at journaling because I'm like, I'm not going to sit there and write 10 great things about myself because I don't even like hearing other people. I just don't care, but I do like quality time. So I'll just sit and watch a timeless TV show and just spend time being in myself. But yeah, it's just words of affirmation, people. I'm just like, I cannot, I can't even in touch. I'm absolutely not it. (laughs) I'm not a hugger. I don't like people hugging me. Leave me alone. But yeah, they usually match up. So it's really, I like asking that question. Um, so this is the part of the podcast where I ask you about Mm -hmm. your roses and thorns. Roses are great things that have happened in the past week or Mm -hmm. past couple weeks and thorns are bumps along the road that maybe taught you a little lesson or things that you need to work on internally. So what are your, what is one rose and one thorn? Mm. Um, I would actually say, and I hate to be cliche about this. I think my rose and my thorn are a little bit the same. So for me, (laughs) I was like, I'm sure people say that all the time. Uh, For me, the rose in having the time to do so much uh, work on myself, uh, so much deep diving and pulling a lot of, um, you know, experiences out from childhood, from whenever it was or things that I've just kind of suppressed. I have been able to write and kind of find different ways that I would like to find purpose in our movement right now. Uh, And not just, you know, from a health side, obviously, but in terms of what that might look like for me to adjust my plans and how I think I could be helpful to the black community for, again, my skills and what I think God has given me purpose for. The thorn, and why I say it's the same, is because uh, I lost my sister to COVID-19 in early April. And um, it, wow. she suffered from sickle cell anemia. She was 43 years old. And that experience and kind of going through this now with all of that is so is motivation for me obviously there are you know grief comes in waves and so I can't say every day is like I just want to push forward and make her proud but she was also a community activist a lot of my uh 
again, kind of encouragement to do the work that I've done in the community here in Pittsburgh was because she was doing it in Brooklyn and was very active in her community and has always been very outspoken about, um, you know, equity and justice. And I, part of me, not even in an obligation, but in knowing that we have that commonality, really wanted to make sure that I was really turning this grief into um, into something positive and turning the thorn into the rose, if that's what it has to be. A rose is going to have thorns and that's okay. And I think the rose here for me is this work, is finding, um, you know, if it's event space, if it's a series of events, if there are larger events down the line that bring all these ideas together, I'm really um, kind of fleshing some things out and trying to find what would be best and what's most helpful for us once we, um, you know, can return to each other in a physical way, but still have a lot more of that mind, body, spirit healing to do, as you mentioned. So, yes. And it's, it's not a flash in a pan. This moment is exactly. long term, right? It's not something that's exactly. going to be ending soon at the yes. end of 2020. So you also have to know how to navigate your emotions, mm-hmm. your grieving and balance that for the long term. But thank you. I want to thank you, first of all, for being open and sharing that because it's not easy to talk about grief, but I really loved how you said turning that thorn into a rose. A rose is beautiful and it's admired and it and what you admire also includes those thorns yes. that come on their stem. So in admiring you, I admire you thank so you. much, Daniela. I admire the beauty that you show in your flower and the rose, but I also admire how you carry those thorns and really um, are resilient and use the grief that you have to kind of carry on the legacy of the people that you've um, touched and have known you and inspired you as well. So I want to thank you for I appreciate that. that. And thank you. I, I'm literally dishing it right back to you because I mean, to, to create a platform <laughs> like this and to, you know, really use what you're seeing in your own insights uh, to make sure that we're sharing with each other, I think is really incredibly uh, significant right now. Um, as we try to just tunnel in and be in our own little spaces, we forget that there's so much we can learn from each other. And so thank you for creating this space and making it yes. comfortable for me to, and many of us to, to, to speak. Oh, of course. I, I wish I could interview a million women, but there's so many inspirational women. Um, before yeah. I end this interview, I just wanted to ask, where can people find you? How can they follow along on your story and maybe read you along the way. Uh, obviously LinkedIn, my whole name. Um, Facebook, I'm on here and there, so I wouldn't suggest it. But um, Instagram, I'm at Lady Ella G. Um, and that's L-A-D-Y-E-L-L-A-G. And Twitter, underscore Ella, underscore G. Um, I guess in terms of social accounts, that's more where to find me. Uh, full name, I'm sure you'll have it up. And you can definitely connect with me on LinkedIn in terms of like event opportunities or career related things, but I hope that, yeah, if anyone is interested in um, just hearing more about certain stories or things that inspire them, I'm happy to share. 
Yes, I will definitely link your information, especially your LinkedIn in the show notes. I think that more women that are trained in equity and cultural competence should be compensated. Mm. And so if you're looking to hire a consultant, I don't know if this is in your job. Oh, sense, but you I'm already know. Already. <laughs> um, she, <laughs> she would be an yes. excellent resource. And we're doing all these things virtually anyway. So don't let the city location deter you from reaching out to Daniela. Well, thank you so much for being a guest today. And thank you for opening up your heart and your mind and all the laughs. I loved mm-hmm. laughing along with you. Um, and I hope that you have a great thank rest you, Ogechi. Appreciate it. It was so much fun to talk to you. I uh, really hope that um, this really explodes for you and all the people that want to take part. And thank you again for the space. Oh, thank you. I hope you can agree with me when I say that Daniela is funny quick-witted, and truly inspiring. It was an honor to listen to her share her career that has been centered around cultural respect and acceptance. In hearing her open up about the loss of her sister, who modeled community action to her, and how that helped her move forward into life was a window into her heart. Thank you for listening, and if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any episodes. If you want to help share stories like Daniela's, leave a review or screenshot this episode and share it on Instagram. Make sure to tag me at Tell Me If You Can Podcast so I can see and share as well. I hope you have an amazing day in your amazing story.